Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Summer of Psalms continues with Psalm 4, verses 1 through 8, as Pastor Ben Pitney draws the truth out of the text with the story of King David and his son Absalom in a message titled, In the Cave. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So it is Father's Day, and um, I want to motivate you today. I want to um, I want to encourage you. I, I want you to walk away feeling different. But you know, it's hard to do that. And I want to pretend about anything because life is difficult. Life's pretty hard sometimes. I mean, for most of us, it just seems like we face trials and struggles and difficulties over and over. And um, but we never. It doesn't seem like we have the tools to navigate that. I think it can be very encouraging to you today. I think you're going to see in Psalm chapter 4, you're going to gather some tools to be encouraged during difficulties and trials. And that, I feel like that's what we need all the time. And the summer is a great time to sort of beef up on those things. Now, the psalm that we're going to look at is um, written by David, King David. And I'm going to say that... It's one of the most poignant and it's one of the most dramatic, sad stories in all of scripture. Now, I, I don't want you to be bummed and depressed, but I think that there's a lot that we can all learn from it, though. It is poignant. It is disturbing. It's tragic. It's all these things. It's a story of David and his son, Absalom. Sometimes you forget King David is um, a father. I don't think he was a great father, but he's a father. He's still somebody that God described as a man after his own heart, okay? So maybe you know the story. David was anointed king of Israel. God set him apart, set him aside, anointed him as king of Israel. And his son Absalom began to turn on him. He began, uh, Absalom began kind of a quest. He set out to take David's throne, to take the throne. And the minute you know that, you know that the story can't go anyplace good. It can't have a good end. Now, listen, I've gotten sideways with my son a few times. We, we, you know, we've kind of tangled a little bit as men do. And, uh, but never like this. You know, never like this. The Bible tells us that the hearts of Israel, God's chosen people who he set aside, turned toward Absalom. And that's significant in this poem or this song that David writes. So I want you to remember this. This is a monarchy, okay? And there's a lot of drama that accompanies a monarchy, So this is a monarchy, and unless the king is willing to give up his throne, the only way the throne can be taken is by his death. So Absalom is setting out to kill David, all right? Think about the crushing grief of a father whose son not only wants his throne, but is plotting his demise and his death. Man, think of how heartbreaking it is to have the people that you've led, you know, the children of Israel, right? God's chosen people, the people that you've led, the people that you've served, be so fickle and so disloyal. You just know that the story's not going to end any way good. 
Psalm 4 is a twin psalm. There are two psalms kind of written together. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. And then Psalm 4 is an evening psalm. Written when David has escaped the throne in fear of his life. And is hiding out in a cave with a sort of loyal band of followers. A bunch of loyal guys. And he's inside of a cave. All right. Let's read it together. Psalm 4, it says, he says, when I call out, answer me, O God, who vindicates me. Though I'm hemmed in, you'll lead me into a wide open place. Have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. You men, how long will you try to turn my honor into shame? How long will you love what is worthless and search for what is deceptive. Realize that the Lord shows the godly special favor. The Lord responds when I cry out to him. Tremble with fear and do not sin. Meditate as you lie down in bed and repent of your ways. Offer the prescribed sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many say, who can show us anything good? Smile on us, Lord. You make me happier than those who have abundant grain and wine. I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you. Lord, make me safe and secure. This is very poetic, and it's kind of cool, David, a man's man, a leader of men, very masculine person. He's also a poet. He's a songwriter. I got a feeling he had a pretty good voice. There's all kinds of things that I think are admirable about David. Look at verse one and two. These two verses, when I call out, answer me. Oh God, who vindicates me, though I'm hemmed in, you'll lead me into a wide and open place. Have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. You see, here's my first point here. Do you run from God or do you run to God. That's the first remarkable thing you see in this song. In the heart of David, uh, you got to know this is coming right out of his heart. In the midst of this disaster, in the midst of this unthinkable thing that's going on, this is the anoint, anointed king. God had placed him in this position. Not only that, uh, that title of king on David, but God had attached his own honor to the throne of David. God is highly connected to this whole plan here. How could it be that this would happen? Yet in this moment, David doesn't run from God. He runs to God. Now, let's be honest. And you got to really be honest right here. All right. How tempting is it for us to run from God in these kind of times, in these kind of trials and struggles? We run from God in doubt and we say, God, I thought you loved me. Have you ever said that? I find myself saying that once in a while. How could, how could this happen to me? I'm the, the, one of the good guys. I mean, uh, this whole plan's been laid out by you and that this is what you're gonna do? I followed you, I've obeyed you, this shouldn't happen. How easy it is to bring God um, into the court of our judgment and judge him as unwise, unfaithful, and unloving. It's easy to do and we do it all the time. You just gotta be truthful with yourself. I'd like to say that I've never done that, but I have, just like you have. 
There have been times when I have just said, I cannot believe this. And in my frustration, I just get to the point where like, I, I just say, I'm done. I quit. Get somebody else. I'm finished. I wish I could have sang immediately, whatever God decides is right, just bring it. But I get angry, just like you do. I pace around. I say, God, I did this for what? All this work is messed up. What sense does this make? Yet David's heart immediately actually runs to God. And he says essentially this. He says, you've answered me in the past. I mean, just look at these two verses. You've answered me in the past. You've delivered me in the past. You'll answer me now. What a remarkable response. Unbelievable response, actually. And as David is running toward God, a man of love and compassion as a leader, his heart immediately thinks of his fellow Israelites, his people that he's leading, that may not know it, but they're, they're in the midst of running from God as well. Because, because listen, to follow Absalom is to turn your back on the throne of David and the honor of, of the God who established all of this and stands with that throne. So if you're following Absalom, you're rebelling against God too. You see? And David's concerned about that. You can't say my heart's with Absalom and my heart is with God at the same time. You can't do it. David knows this is what makes this so tragic. And here's a man who is grieved because he understands in this moment his only hope is the Lord. His only hope for the people that he leads is the Lord. And he says, how long will you believe these lies, you guys? How long? How long will glory be turned into shame? You men, how long will you turn, will you try to turn my honor into shame? How long will you love what is worthless and search for what is deceptive? What a sad thing. But that's what's happening. That's the truth. That's reality. And don't think this is not like you and me. This is just like you and I. Absolutely. Fathers, men, brothers, and sisters, when the unthinkable comes your way, when things that you would not have chosen show up when trials and troubles come, no matter how small, no matter how huge or large, when they come your way, where does your heart run? Where does it run? Do you run to God or do you run away from him? Look at verse three. Realize that the Lord shows the godly special favor. The Lord responds when I cry out to him. Focus on that a minute. I'm gonna call this next point identity amnesia. See, because this is the second thing David does. He, he reminds himself of his identity in the Lord. And I think one of the things that gets gets us in all kinds of trouble in times of difficulty and trial is an insidious thing that I want to call identity amnesia. We, we just forget who we are. We forget that if you're God's child, you're not the, the, the normal person and you're not, you're, you're, you're somehow, you know, just trying to survive the fate of the fallen world. That's not you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're God's child. That's not who we are. We are the children of the Most High God and our stories are held together in the hand of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Bottom line, that's who we are. That's our identity. And I would propose this to you. Maybe it's not identity amnesia actually at all. Maybe 
The reason trials are so hard for us is that they challenge the replacement identities that we're already carrying, that they're already living out. Trials challenge the things that you look to for identity. There's an identity crisis in our culture, and it's not just outside of the church, it's inside as well. Your identity is not supposed in that, to be in that person that you married. You should be thankful for that relationship, but that person's not your Messiah. Your identity should not be in your job. Your identity shouldn't be in your appearance. It shouldn't be in your physical health. It shouldn't be in your financial well-being. It should be in the Lord. And if your identity is not in the Lord, you're a person in spiritual danger, actually. And trial is exacerbated when the thing that I've placed my identity in now is now at stake in my life. That's what happens. Maybe that's why a loving God would allow trials in our lives. Because those trials rescue us. Actually, those trials call us back to to place our identity and meaning and purpose in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Oswald Chambers writes this book, My Outmost for His Highest. Oh, I love this guy. It's a classic, classic devotion book. The very first devotion book, I'm gonna quote him. It, I read this in a, as a high school student and I think it changed my life. Look at this. Before we choose to follow God's will, a crisis must develop in our lives. <laughs> Sounds pretty smart. This happens because we tend to be unresponsive to God's gentler nudges. He brings us to the place where he asks us to be our utmost for him, and we begin to debate it and say, what, you know, you got, this isn't the way it's supposed to go, right? And then providentially produces a crisis where we have to decide for or against. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives. Because it reveals why. What does it do? It reveals exactly where your identity is, where your trust is. Is your identity in the Lord? I'm not talking theologically. I'm talking functionally where the rubber meets the road. Every day, do you say, I am one of his set-apart ones. That's who a Christ follower is. I didn't set myself apart. He set me apart by his sovereign grace. And because I'm his set apart one, he never turns a deaf ear to my cry. Let's move on because David does something else. He examines his heart. So examine your heart. Verse four, tremble with fear and do not sin. Meditate as you lie in bed and repent of your ways. And then there's that little word selah, okay? It's left in there by the translator because it it means pause. Pause and think about this. That's what it means, selah. Pause and think about this. So you got to ponder this. David goes and he does this remarkable thing right here. He not only runs to God instead of running away from him, he not only reminds himself of his identity in the Lord, he examines his heart. And it's so easy in moments of struggle to be so engaged in your difficulty and your suffering and your trial, right, that you're not paying attention to what's going on in your heart in the middle of the struggle. And in verse four, David mentions the very regular temptation tendencies, there are temptations that all of us face in moments of trial, like anger or complaining 
or barking or bellyaching or whining, right? Maybe anger that is a low-grade irritation where everybody around you knows you're mad. You know, people know when you're mad, you don't got to be yelling and screaming, right? Maybe that can be the silent treatment and you're inflicting it on people around you. Right? It can be a huff, an eye roll, a pout. All games. Because you're angry. You're just more irritated because you're mad about what's going on. Maybe you scream a little bit more in traffic than normal. Right? Listen, no matter where you express frustration and anger, if you're angry in the middle of your circumstances and you've claimed to believe in the sovereign God, your anger is actually with God. If there's anything I've learned, that's what I've learned. Eugene Peterson says this, complain if you must, but don't lash out. Keep your mouth shut and let your heart do the talking. This is to paraphrase of the last verse we looked at. Most, most of us don't look at God, look God in the face and express our anger and shake it actually in his face, but in a subtle way, we announce that the anger in our situation and in our relationships is really with him. One of the things when I counsel people um, in times of trial is how I, I find out how much anger there is with God in the hearts of actually God's people. Beneath the struggles and the circumstances and the dissatisfactions with God, that is spirit, it, it, that's all just spiritually debilitating and it rots you away. Here it is. You don't typically run towards someone that you're angry against, but that anger results in another sin. And here's what he says. Look at verse four. Tremble with fear and do not sin. Or don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. That's it. Pause and look into your heart. In your own hearts, in your bed, when you're laying there, and repent and turn your thinking in the opposite way. Do you know how hard it is to be quiet and turn the opposite way in times of trials? Yeah, really hard. You know, there's that sort of bite your tongue sort of cliche. It's actually a good idea. Because there inside of you, a complaint, is a, it's, it's a complaint. It's the, I don't like it of the heart. And it's very, very hard when you're in that place. We don't like your life. You don't like what's been placed on your plate. You don't like what you have to deal with every day. It's very hard for that, I don't like, to not form the words that you speak because you know the Bible teaches that out of the heart, out of the heart that the mouth speaks. So it spills all over into all kinds of unhealthy conversation or communication. And I know this is true of me in times of trouble, just like you. I never hurt anybody, by the way, with my silence. I'm not talking about the silent treatment. So think of this about David. What an amazing thing it is for a man in the midst of this crushing difficulty to be so self-aware as to look into his own heart. But David's not done Here's my fourth point. Turn your heart towards worship. What? Yeah, that's what he does. Look at verse five. Offer the prescribed sacrifices and trust in the Lord. He's just, that's just worship. Not only does he run to God and not only does he remind himself of his identity in the Lord, not only does he examine his heart, but David turns his heart towards worship. And when you're in difficulty, do you want to worship? See, I don't always want to do that. 
When I'm dissatisfied with God, it's hard for me to run to him with an open heart of praise and sacrifice and worship. And in my experience, worship is never more sweeter, though, actually, and more heartfelt and more honest and true than in times of difficulty and trial and struggle. Because in that moment, I'm not worshiping God because I think he's given me what makes me happy. I'm worshiping God because he's God. (laughs) And that's true worship. It's about the only way you can do it when you're all mad and frustrated and upset and hurt. He does something else. Look at verse six. He cares about the people around him. Many say, who can show us anything good? Smile upon us, Lord. I don't know what's going on. He, he's running to God. He reminds himself of his identity in the Lord. He's examining his heart. He's determined to worship. And then he actually begins to focus on the people who are around him. And there's a bunch of dudes in the cave with him. There's a bunch of guys in the cave with him. What are they thinking? They're observing all of this. He's leading all these people, by the way. He's king. He's set aside. They believe in him. I mean, all, he's got, all he has to say is, let's ride, get out your swords. And they're saying, who do you want us to kill? It's that kind of loyalty. Look at verse six. He's probably in a poetic way summarizing what's going on here. The band of guys who are loyal uh, with him. What's gonna happen now, David? What next? Tell us, king. How's this ever gonna turn out good? What's gonna happen? I mean, that's what I'd be asking. And I think it's really interesting what David does next. He doesn't answer those questions or queries, right? Those fearful, anxious questions. With it. He doesn't do it with a stereotypical theology. He doesn't do that. That's baloney. What he does is he prays. And he says essentially this, Lord, what these, uh, what these people who are with me need is not a set of answers as much as, as, a, as a knowledge of an experience of your presence in this cave. And Lord, could you, would you be so gentle and loving and kind as to shine your face on us, to smile on us, please? We need to see you because here's what happens in trial. Trial's like a mountain that lives in front of you and that blocks your vision. That's what trials look like, a big fat mountain that's insurmountable. And all you can see is the what ifs. But the one thing you need to see is the Lord who's with you. David is essentially saying, Father, I know you're in this cave. Reveal yourself to us because we desperately need to see you. He cares about the people around him and he prays. Lasting, enduring, sturdy, immutable peace is not to be found in understanding. You know, we all just want to understand. I don't understand. You know, help me understand. Isn't that, do you just hear yourself saying that all the time? People say that all the time and they're frustrated and it's a mess when it's difficult, when it's a big deal, when it's huge, when it's dramatic, when there's just a mess. I just want to understand. Like that's going to help, actually. No, lasting, sturdy, enduring, immutable peace is found in a person and his name is Jehovah. Jehovah means I am the eternal living one. That's where you find peace. Because this side of eternity, we won't understand. 
There won't always be wonderful explanatory answers. You ever find some of those things where it's just like there's no answer? There's nothing good to answer anyway. But you'll always have the presence of the Lord because he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. After all of that, David does this final sweet thing. It's my sixth point, satisfied rest. It's amazing. Look at verse seven and eight. You make me happier than those who have abundant grain and wine. I will lie down and sleep peacefully for, peacefully for you, Lord, make me safe and secure. Catch it again. I read it wrong the first time. I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord, make me safe and secure. David doesn't, he does, he does this unthinkable thing. He lies down and he goes to sleep in a rather satisfied rest. It's unbelievable to me. How can this man have any satisfaction in this moment? Think of this. I need to understand what's going on here. We know from the historical account that this was a moment of great grief for David. There'd be something wrong with this guy if he wasn't in a moment of grief. He's grieving. This is his calling. This is his boy. This is unthinkable. But interacting with that grief is something profound, right? What is it? What is it? He's able to experience satisfaction because he runs to God. He worships God in the midst of this trial. This trial has exegeted, so to speak. It has expounded something that is profoundly important. And here it is in verse 8. You alone, Lord, make me safe and secure. You alone. For you, Lord, only you. Make me safe and secure. Think of this thought. Father, if you and you alone are the source of my safety, I'm as safe in this cave as I was in the palace. And with that profound thought, David's heart is filled with such peace that satisfaction about all of that puts him to sleep. It's it's profound. You make me safe and secure. What does this have to do with me now? I don't know how you see this psalm. It's, it's, It's an awesome poem. Maybe you're thinking, David is an unrealistic man because he seems kind of unrealistic. There's no way this man is anything like me. It's easy to say that. There's no way I'll ever respond to trial like that. Ben, this is so discouraging. Listen, I want you to pay attention here. I want to remind you just for a minute that this man is like us. He is like us. This man who is capable of grave sin, the sin of adultery, the sin of murder, he's like us. He's not unrealistic. Psalm 4 isn't a statement of an unrealistic, perfect man. Psalm 4 is a narrative of what the grace of God can do in the heart of everyone who seeks him. Everybody, everybody. I just think guys, fathers, men in particular, I think we struggle all the time with this. What does this have to do with me? This, number one, is not just David's psalm. This is your psalm. This is my psalm. You can claim this as your own. 
Number two, that same God of grace will meet you with his grace in your times of trouble. He's the same. He doesn't change. He meets you with all that grace. But I want to point out something. There's another king. This also has to do with, with you and I. You can't help but think that Psalm 4 is pointing to another king. The king, too, left his throne. The king also faced the unthinkable. The king didn't just face the fear of death. This king died a gruesome death. This king ended up in a cave. The cave was a tomb. This king conquered that tomb, defeated sin and death. That king is Jesus, and he faced death for you and I. I love that. He conquered death for you and I so that we could have eternal life. But also so that you would have the grace you need in your times of struggle and trial and difficulty. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Because if you haven't, you're just facing things in theory with a theoretical relationship with Jesus. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? That's what it has to do with me and you. Maybe some of you have never done that. Maybe some of you are here and you're struggling with your functional trust of Jesus. And actually what you have is just a theory of a relationship. Trust Jesus. He's willing to face that cave for you, by the way, so that in trial you'd be able to say, you make me happier than those who have abundant grain and wine, God. I'll lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord Make me safe and secure. Bow your heavenly, thank you, God. Uh, for all the fathers in the room, but we, we struggle around with these kinds of things all the time. Thank you for giving us the tools in this song. Help us to grab these truths now and utilize these truths and tools to navigate life. We are so much like David it's crazy. We are definitely imperfect. Help us to surrender our hearts to you, to trust you, to find our identity only in you, to run to you, to worship you, to care about the people around us and bring them all along with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.